All right, good morning, everybody. This morning we'll be in Psalms uh, 52, 53, and 54, if you want to turn there in your Bibles. Had a great kids' camp, and uh, we're tired, so, um, but well worth it. The kids were blessed. We'll try to put as many photos up as possible for everybody to look at and, and uh, kind of go over and see what we did. Um, a couple successful things were the, well, they were all successful. I don't think we had a bad event. So the horses went well. Moera went great, I think. I didn't hear much about it, but I assume it went great. Moera said we did great, so it must have been a great time. Um, anyway, the whole camp went really well. So thank you for your prayers, your support. A lot of you did scholarships and helped fund it. And uh, um, it really it really makes it go smoothly and then also uh, gives more to the kids other than uh, just the place and, and walking around in the grass and stuff. We were able to do a lot more things with them, so I really appreciate that. So keep praying for the kids. You know, they, get, they it's a mountaintop experience for them as well, and they've got to come down off the mountain and come into the world again, and, and uh, it can be a little bit of a letdown for them too, but um, so pray for them too. And pray for the counselors and all the staff that they get rested up. Um, today uh, is supposed to be a potluck. We're not having a potluck. So the first service usually doesn't care because that's why you're here. You're not coming back. So um, <laughs> pray that second service takes it as well as you did. <laughs> it's just not happening. And then, but there is prayer tonight. If you're interested at seven o'clock, corporate prayer, we meet back here. Um, and you're welcome to join us for that. All right, let's get into it. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you uh, that we get to spend time in it uh, this morning. Times of refreshing come from the presence of the Lord, and that's why we've come. We may be physically tired and a little bit mentally exhausted, but if we want to refresh our souls, there's only one place we can go to for that, and that's right here. And so, Lord, we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 52 is a psalm that David wrote um, after a man named Doag. I call him Dog just because it's easier. He's He's a worthless man, so it's okay to mispronounce his name. Um, this dog turns David in. David is running from Saul. Saul, for some reason, has it out for David. He thinks David uh, shouldn't usurp his authority as king. Although God has taken Saul off the throne, Saul won't get off the throne. So Saul is chasing David around. David is hiding out wherever he can. He finds a refuge in Ahimelech's household. This is a priest. This is a, a man of the cloth, you know, back in the day. And Ahimelech doesn't know that there's this battle going on between Saul and David. Um, He's unaware of the conflict. So when David shows up, who seems to be Saul's right-hand man, doesn't have a problem having him come in and have some bread and gives him Goliath's sword. But unbeknownst to him, he was aiding and abetting a felon as far as Saul was concerned. So Saul finds out about it and he's upset. And Saul decides to kill Ahimelech. None of the guys in the room would kill this priest. He says, we're not killing priests today. That's really bad luck. You know, you don't do that. Well, this dog, Doag, didn't have a problem with it. He went ahead and killed the priest, Ahimelech, and his whole household, women, children, everything. David writes this song after that. It's a song of vengeance. It begins in verse 1. Why do you boast in evil, O mighty man? The goodness of God endures continually. Your tongue devises destruction like a sharp razor working deceitfully. 
You love evil more than good, lying rather than speaking righteousness. You love all devouring words, you deceitful tongue. David's not happy with this man. Calls him out in song, you know, kind of a funny, you don't write too many songs like that. Although there are some country songs that are a lot like that. Uh, but so maybe you get a little twang in this and you can kind of, it'll hit right home. But uh, it's, it's, it's valid. These are valid feelings, you know. Um, and so he writes him down to, to let this man know, I'm calling you out. I, I know who you are. God knows who you are. That's the next step in this psalm. God sees. He knows. You didn't get away with anything. See, it looks like David's losing because he's on the run. It looks like, uh, you know, this Ahimelech, this priest and his family, they lost because they're all, they're all gone and slaughtered. It looks like the bad guys are winning, you know. And David says, that's not so. That's not the case. There are moments like that where the pendulum seems to swing in their direction, in their favor, the bad people, the evil people of the world. But David's here to remind them that not only does the pendulum swing all the way back over to righteousness and judgment, but God breaks that pendulum off eventually eventually at a time and season when it's appropriate, and vengeance will take place. And punishment will take place. You didn't escape anything. You're not getting away with it. I think that's one of our biggest problems with sin. We think we're getting away with it. God sees everything. He's there all the time. And it's not meant to be like a boogeyman situation, like I'm afraid to sin because I don't want God to see. No, it's just just don't fool yourself or talk yourself into the fact that you, you think you're getting away with it. God sees that. And so David is just simply singing this out loud, saying, I I know it seems like you're getting away with it, that you're a really sharp guy, sharp razor. You you know, you're lying and getting away with it, and you're manipulating people, and they're buying into it, and you're on. You think you've joined the right team, the powerful team, Saul's team. He finishes up here in verse 5. God shall likewise destroy you forever. You're winning for a brief amount of time. The world wins for a brief amount of time. He says, God shall destroy you forever. He shall take you away and pluck you out of your dwelling place and uproot you from the land of the living. Not just out of your home where you're on the run in the wilderness like David is, but you won't even be in the living. The righteous also shall see and fear and shall laugh at him saying, here is the man who did not make God his strength, but trusted in the abundance of his riches and strengthened him or strengthened himself in his wickedness. Some people find strength in that. They think that there's a lot of examples of that. It can can be in a home, in your home, Um, parents even, it can be kids, it can be anybody, any soul that isn't God's, that has not found their trust in the Lord, seems to strengthen themselves. They've got to find strength someplace, and since they're not getting it from God, they have to go to a different source. And that's what David's calling out. You think you're strengthening yourself in all this wickedness. You can see people do that as as we get divided over issues in our country, and I'm all for that. I'm all for division. Absolutely. I think it's very important that we're divided on the important issues. I'm not into unity. I'm not into compromise in that area at all. And so as we see us divided in different areas, which is just fine, when it comes to good and evil... Definitely a division needs to be there. The wicked strengthen themselves when they lose the argument, when they lose the sense 
of the argument. When they lose the, um, the mental side of it, they just strengthen themselves in wickedness. They just throw tantrums, you know. We used to have, well, our kids never really threw tantrum tantrums like you see sometimes, you know. They just never have. They've never been those kind of kids, I guess. Um, but you've seen that happen. You know, they call them the terrible twos or whatever. I don't know. Um, our kids were a little fussier during that season of their life, but they weren't terrible, you know. But I've seen that happen. I've seen, I was, I was, I was buying certificates for the camp at uh, Dollar Tree. I'm glad I found them. Um, I, I was supposed to buy them a long time ago, and I never, I never got it done. And finally found them, and Lori told me where they, where I could get them, and I went there. And there's this, there's this family, just a sweet mom and and three little kids, maybe grandma and three little kids, not sure which. You know, it doesn't really matter. And they're all get to pick out a coloring book at Dollar. That's great. You know, yay. You think, you know, but there's this little girl, three range, four range, maybe enough to articulate that she wasn't happy that the other kids weren't getting the coloring books that she wanted them to get. She could get her own coloring book and she wanted Spider-Man and you have Spider-Man, you can have Spider-Man. And then the older brother says, look, I'm going to get this one. No, you're not. She just threw a fit. She strengthened herself in wickedness, threw herself on the floor. The older brother was like, I don't know. What do you want me to pick? I'll do whatever. (laughs) Just be quiet, you know? Some people, when they lose the argument, when there's no sense in it, obviously you have no say in what your brother gets. She just threw this big fit, and it worked. You can see that in adults. I lose the argument. I, I can't win it mentally, but I will throw a fit and I will get my way. We've seen that over and over again in the last three years. Unbelievable to watch the tantrums. There they are. Don't strengthen yourself in wickedness. David says, I'm calling you out on that. You need to trust in the Lord. And if you think that you're going to find abundance and trust in your riches, you've got another thing coming. Verse 8. But I am like a green olive tree, David speaking of himself, but I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. I trust in the mercy of God forever and ever. I will praise you forever because you've done it. And in the presence of your saints, I will wait on your name for it is good. Now that name is going to come up again in the last Psalm also, but I will wait in your name. The song we sang today at the, uh, this morning, the, the, at the altar of my life. You know, God be magnified. And I just really hit home today. I've sung that song 150 times. But this morning, that really hit my heart. On the altar of my life, as, as I lay out my life and I pretend and I make you know, a word picture that my life is an altar, at my altar, at my life, which is all I have control over, God will be glorified. It's very similar to Joshua saying, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. But at, at, at my life, when someone looks back on not even the dirks, and there's an S on the end, by the way. It's not Dirk. It's Dirks. Anyway, some people say Dirk. Hey, the Dirk. No, it's the Dirks. Um, at my life, J.D. Dirks, no matter what Jenny Dirks does or Seth Dirks or Bo Dirks or Anna Dirks or soon-to-be Seldonia, it really flows off the tongue, though. Anna Seldonia. I love that. It's a great name. You get to do the little thing over this. All right, I'm distracted. <laughs> coming up. I'm excited. Um, at my altar, though, at J.D. Dirks's altar, it, he's going to be glorified there. That's it. That's what he's going to do. That's a decision you have to make. I, um, 
That's a decision David has made. It's, it's not based off of motivation, you know? We get confused sometimes about that. I'm just not motivated to read my Bible. I'm just not motivated to go to church. I'm just not motivated. What does that have to do with anything? We, we, don't, we shouldn't do anything by, you know, there's a guy in this room that is so disciplined. And I, I want to call him out, but I don't know if he'll want me to call him out or not, Brian. <laughs> Skidmore. So disciplined. The guy goes to the gym every morning. How, how many years have you gone to the gym every single morning? We get several, 20 probably, you know? I can't go for a week in a row, you know? Even though I dedicate, I'm really going to do it. I'm not motivated today. Well, that's the difference. You don't go because of motivation. You go because of discipline. There's a big difference there. Sometimes I'm motivated. Sometimes I'm not. But either way, the altar of my life, God will be glorified. I will read my Bible. I will study. I will teach. I will share. I will do it. Whether I'm motivated or not makes no difference at all. It's a decision I've made. David says this and reiterates that in many of his writings, but he says that here again, I will wait on your name for it is good. Psalm 53. The foolish has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable iniquities. There is none who does good. Very similar to what Paul says in Romans. The reason he says this is most people that are doing these evil things, these abominable iniquities, don't want there to be a God. Because if there's a God, then they're accountable to that God. So the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. And they say that because they're corrupt and have, a, have, and have done abominable iniquity. There is none who does good. God looks down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there are any who understand, who seek God. Every one of them is turned aside. They have together become corrupt. There is none who does good. No, not one. Again, very similar to the Romans road in the Old Testament. Nobody's done good. Nobody starts off good and becomes evil. We start off evil and we become good if we follow Jesus Christ. That's, the, that's a very important understanding and a biblical view of mankind. So God is looking down to see if there's any. And, and this has struck me before in the past. When he looks down on earth, does he see me? does he see me like that? I want to be the one, you know, in a room full of people. Is there anybody that seeks after me that wants to do my will? Absolutely. I want to be that one, you know, not a hundred percent every time for sure. I'm not that, I'm not that place, but I want to be that one. I want to be the one. That's a decision I've made. It's a decision David has made. He looks down, he's looking for anybody, he's looking, they're all workers of iniquity, they're all going their own direction, they're all living their own life and not looking to God, and it's a miserable existence for them. Verse 4, have the workers of iniquity no knowledge, who eat up my people as they eat bread, and do not call upon God? There they are in great fear, where no fear was, for God has scattered the bones of him who encamps against you. You have put them to shame because God has despised them. Oh, that the salvation of Israel would come out of Zion. When God brings back the captivity of his people, let Jacob rejoice and Israel be glad. Now, it's prophetic. It, goes, it, 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 it companions with Psalm 102, verse 16. In that specific verse, he talks about when he builds Zion, he will return. 
The Messiah will return when he builds Zion. And so we can see when he says this, when God brings back the captivity of his people, let Jacob rejoice and Israel be glad because he's going to build Zion, Psalm 102, 16, and begin to repair and he's going to return. That's what we're looking for. Um, If you don't study history very much or you haven't, you wouldn't know that Israel for a long time wasn't a country at all. They weren't a people. I mean, they were, but they were scattered all over the place for a very long amount of time. And you're wondering about these prophecies of, of, of Psalm 53, 6 and Psalm 102, 16 that we just read. How does that happen? What, so when is he going to build? Well, all of a sudden, after World War II, they're back in the land. They have, they have land. They have property rights. They, they're, they're given this place back to them. They're being brought out of captivity. The people returning from all over the world and populating this Israel for the first time in centuries. A people that weren't a people, the people that had been dispersed all over the world are now back. That's, that's never happened. It's prophetic. It's happening. They're coming back. Their nation. And, and that's all you hear. It's, it's hard to watch a news cycle any day of the week and not see something about Israel. I think of all the countries that you could like go through. I mean, okay, so I'm a big news agency. Have we talked about Lithuania? I don't even know if that's a country anymore. They, they change boundaries and names so often. But have we talked about Lithuania lately? No, what's going on in Lithuania? Well, and they could go through, and there's lots of countries you could choose from, but nope. The news focuses on what's happening in Israel. What's happening in Israel? What's happening in Israel? What's happening? It's as if God's saying, are you keeping your eye on this like I'm keeping my eye on this? I mean, can you think of a news cycle where there hasn't been one story about Israel? There always is. It's a hot spot. That's because God is working there. I, he is doing something miraculous in the nation of Israel, bringing them back and drawing them back. Their, their technology is fantastic. God is pouring out his blessing upon them, even though they haven't trusted in their Messiah, Jesus, for the most part. Even though they're not even that religious, you'd think, you know, with all the tourism and all the great walls and all the archaeology that goes on over there, most don't go to synagogue. Most. It's a hot spot of spirituality. Everything's focused there. Everybody wants to wipe them out. Israel's constantly trying to defend themselves against Hamas and against Syria and Iran. And it's just this constant hotbed. It's because God's at work. I don't think we should be surprised in our lives when we turn them over to Jesus Christ and we begin to walk with him. You're a hot spot. The enemy comes against you. He's trying to build you up. He's trying to do amazing things with you. Of course the enemy's going to push back. We plan on that for kids' camp. Plan on it. Pray ahead of time. Okay, it's the week before camp. Stand by. You know, incoming. Put your helmets on. And we persevere through it. And God does a great work. And that's what he's looking for. And so, you know, I don't want to skip over this verse 4. Have the workers have no iniquity, no knowledge that they eat up my people as they eat bread and do not call upon God. People are beginning to look at other people like that more and more. It's, it's more about how you feel or how they treat you and not about you ministering to them or being a blessing to them or even as unbelievers and you wouldn't use the word ministry or blessing you're not looking out for their best interest or helping them 
You're not following the worldly even golden rule. You know, don't do unto others. You know, you don't want to hurt them. Nobody's doing that anymore. They're eating each other up. They about devour one another. It's, it's, a, it's a weird thing. I watched this horrible, horrible scene. I don't even know if the guy meant to do it, but he had like all these alligators. It was like, a, a, obviously, Florida. These huge alligators. I hate alligators. Absolutely terrifying to me. I don't, these guys that grab their tails or touch them and stuff. is like, just no. I mean, there they are, you know. And he's got maybe 20 of them, and it's feeding time. It's the sickest thing I've ever seen. So he's throwing out this you know, whole turkeys and stuff to these things, you know, not live, but, you know, throwing out these turkeys. Well, they go into this frenzy trying to get these turkeys, and one of them latched onto another one's hand, an arm, and he just rolled, you know, like they do, and pulled it right off. And the guy goes, oh, Fred, oh, Fred, why'd you do that to June? He's named them all. I'm going, dude, there's a better way to do this. I want to go help you, you know, feed them one at a time or something. But to watch that frenzy... And I can't get that image out of my head as you see the world. And they're all trying to go for the same things. And they just they, they bite and devour one another. They wound each other. They don't care. They're fine until there's some sort of trinket in front of them. And then it's dog eat dog. I mean, it's a horrible situation. That's what David's saying. You guys devour. You just eat people. You eat them up like they're nothing. Psalm 54, our last psalm this morning. David says, save me, O God, by your name, and vindicate me by your strength. Hear my prayer, O God. Give ear to the words of my mouth, for strangers have risen up against me, and oppressors have sought after my life. They have not set God before them. David says, "Um, I want you to save me by your name. I I looked that up today, um, because I mean, I know some of them, but some of the names of God are important. Throughout the scriptures, God is called by different names. And here's the thing. God, in his name is Jehovah or, or Yahweh. depends on how you pronounce it. That's fine. But he, he calls himself other things throughout scripture. And whenever he does that, it's, it's, it's a character. It's an attribute of his. He says, if you want to know me, I want you to know who I am. I am that I am. Now, he says that not because he wants to confuse us and say, how about Fred or Joe? Or just a simple name that I can call you. You know, that's what we're looking for. He goes, no, I want you to know who I am. And I am who I am. I have no beginning. I have no end. I'm the Alpha and the Omega. I want you to know that about me. So call me that, Alpha and Omega. Call me this, I am. I want you to call me that because that reminds us of who he is. Names meant a lot in the Old Testament. The names identified the character. You know, think of Jacob. Jacob, you know, means deceiver or heel catcher, literally, in Hebrew, because he caught his brother's heel on the way out and thought he would usurp the authority of the firstborn, you know. I mean, they did a whole lot for these poor little babies just trying to get out of the womb, but there it was. They called him Jacob the usurper. He lived his life that way, though. He was a tricky guy. He was a deceiver, maybe because they called him that from youth, you know. You give somebody a nickname, you give your son or your daughter a bad nickname, they might become that bad nickname. You know, who knows? But as he came in contact with God, God changed his name to Israel. It's very important for God to call Jacob by the name Israel so that everybody understood when they say your name now, they understand who you are. It's your character, governed by God. That's what Israel means, governed by God. You're no longer Jacob, tricky day, tricky Jacob. This fly's going to ruin me. 
You're not, you're not tricky. You're governed by God. And so when God says, I want you to call me by these names, here's some of the names. Jehovah Makedesh. It means the God who sanctifies. So when David says, save me, O God, by your name, which is a great prayer for all of us, what name do you think he would use for you? Or how many different names would he use? How many different names would he save you by? Could it be your sanctification? I want to set you apart, which means there's some loss in your life. Friends and family that don't walk with the Lord but are holding you back or pulling you back into the world. God says, no, I'm going to, I'm going to save you with my name. Sanctification. Another one might be Jehovah Jireh. He's the God who provides. May not be exactly what you'd hope for, a million dollars here or there, you know. But he could provide in other ways, you know. Could be a single person. Oh, I just I'd really like I'd really like a, a good guy. I'd just really like a good gal for once. I'd just like someone that's solid. Jehovah Jireh might save you by giving you and providing for you. Jehovah Shalom, the God of peace. You may not have everything in the world, but you've got peace in your heart, and that is everything. It becomes everything to you. You see where I'm going with this. Other names, Jehovah Rofi or Rafi. Jehovah Heals is his name. Um, another one would be Jehovah Nissi. God is our banner. What does that mean? How can God save me by being a banner for me or a banner? I tell you what, you put the banner of Jesus Christ over your life. You make sure everybody knows that you're a Christian. You make the altar of your life a place where God is glorified. That'll save you. That'll save you a world of heartache. It'll bring in a lot of conflict. It'll bring in a lot of the world that doesn't want to have to deal with you or like you or appreciate your stance or your beliefs and all that. But that banner over you might save you from following after them and ending up in the pit where they go. There's a lot of different ways that God can save us. And so when David prays this, save me, O God, by your name, what name? I don't think we should put a label on it. I don't want to tell him by which name of his should he save me. Let him bring into your life what he wants to bring into your life because that'll be perfect and best. I didn't want sanctification. I wanted the provision side of things. No, you needed the sanctification. David knows that. Save me by your name. Verse 6, I will freely sacrifice to you. I will praise your name. Oh, wait, four. Let me do verse four. Behold, God is my helper. The Lord is with those who uphold my life. He will repay my enemies for their evil. Cut them off in your truth. I will freely sacrifice to you. I will praise your name, O Lord, for it is good. In other words, whatever name you choose to use in my life, however you choose to save me, I will praise you for that. I won't question you. I'm not going to sit there and say, why, why this and not that. I'm going to praise your name, O Lord, for it is good. For it has delivered me out of all trouble. And my eye has seen its desires, or my, its desire upon my enemies. Because David says, I've seen this happen. I've seen God step in and do things that, you know, sometimes even David, I'm sure, like we do, would come to God with our plan. Here's my plan. Oh, God, bless it. Make it come to pass. Fulfill my plan, Lord. God says, no, that's not what I want to do. And that happened to David several times. You know, God came in and did what God wanted to do because David allowed God to do what he wanted to do in his life. And God, David was always like, well, that was, you're right. That was way better. That was way better than my plan. I'm so glad you didn't bless my plan. I'm so glad you didn't bring my plan to pass. You know, that's trusting in the Lord. That's truly trusting in the Lord. 
God, I have an idea. I'm, I'm planning my ways, but I want you to direct my steps. And if your direction for my steps doesn't line up with the plan that I've planned, absolutely fine. I'm taking your path, not the one I laid out. So important. God wants to do that for us. Some of us know that and have experienced that. Maybe you've written things down in your journal, in your notebooks, you know, about what God's done in the past, scribbled, you know, a verse or a date or something like that. Some of you don't know what that's like, and you need to. Asking God to come alongside your life and putting him in your back pocket as if he's going to bless whatever you touch, you know, it's not the relationship that God wants to have with you. He wants to lead you. He wants you to follow him. He doesn't want to follow you. And that's a very, there's a big difference there. And I think everybody needs to have an honest evaluation of their relationship with God. Do I ask God to follow me and do what I ask him to do, like a bodyguard kind of thing? Or do I follow him like a king and serve him and trust in him? Well, if you haven't done that this morning, if you've never trusted your life, your plan, your path to God, I want you to do that this morning. I think it's a good time to do that. That's why you're here. You know, we're either here to worship and because we love God already or because it's not working. Whatever it is that you're doing isn't working and hasn't worked. And you're going around the same mountain over and over and over again. You're running into the same problems, the same situations over. And you keep thinking it's just bad luck and they have good luck. And it's not. It's someone following God and doing what God wants them to do versus asking God to follow them. So this morning, I pray that you make that decision to let, to let him get in front to follow him and to, and, to, and to make that commitment discipline-wise. Maybe tomorrow or maybe after, you know, maybe you're emotional right now and you can really feel that and you really feel like God's tugging on your heart and that's great and you should respond to that. But tomorrow may be different and your feelings may be different, but that shouldn't change your decision that you made today to follow God. You follow him regardless and you, you persevere through and you discipline yourself. And God will take you amazing places and do amazing things with your life. He'll change things. He'll fix things. He'll save you by his name. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. David's experienced so much with you. You've protected him so much. You've blessed him abundantly over and over again in different areas of his life. And when he trusted you and when he followed you, it was amazing. And when he didn't, he learned and he worked it out for good in his life. God, this morning, we want to commit our lives to you. We want to be followers of yours. We don't want to be leaders. We want to follow you, Jesus. So I pray that you take up your rightful position in our lives and be the head, and that we would fall behind and follow, because we know that's the best place, that you would lead us in the path that you want us to go in, and that you would change directions for us, and we will follow you. We thank you that you love us, that you're looking out for our best interests. You're not trying to lead us into harm's way, but you're, you're trying to help. Way of blessing. And so we commit our lives to you. We, we turn them over to you and we follow you, Jesus. We make the decision today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you need prayer before you go, please come up. Be glad to pray with you. Otherwise, have a good rest of the week.